Loved by Jesus, our look at some of the incidents before and on the cross that shows his definite love for us. We often mention Francis Ridley Havergal, the British musician that gave us some of the most beloved songs that we have as classic hymns like, Like a River Glorious, Who is on the Lord's Side, I am trusting Thee, Lord Jesus, Take My Life and Let It Be, all very familiar to us. One day in January... 1858, she was uh, visiting a, an art gallery in Dusseldorf, Germany. And she was a little tired, so she sat down across uh, from Domenico uh, Fetti's picture of Christ, under which the caption read, I did this all for thee. What hast thou done for me? Well, as she pondered on that, she was deeply moved and scribbled down some lines that flashed into her mind writing in pencil on a piece of scrap paper. Later, after reading them over, she, did not, she wasn't satisfied with them, so she tossed them into the fire, but the wind of the fire knocked them out before uh, it could be touched. Well, some months later, she saw it, and she showed her father, who was also a musician, uh, what um, she had written. And he encouraged her to preserve those. Uh, he knew there was value to it. And so he was able to compose a melody himself, and the resulting hymn was, I Gave My Life for Thee, first published in 1860. And that was actually the hymn that launched her into the ministry of writing hymns. It reads, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave... I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? John Stott said, only one act of pure love, unsullied by any taint of ulterior motives, has ever been performed in the history of the world, namely the self-giving of God in Christ on the cross for undeserving sinners. And that is true. I would like to look today at the love of Christ manifested toward people and really shows us his, his manifestation of his love toward us. While he was on the cross, we have often looked at the seven sayings on the cross as the seven last words of Christ. The final four exhibit the love of Christ in his sacrifice for us. But I'd like to look at the first three, sometimes jumped over, but I think show us the heart of the one who died for us and the uh, kind of, re we can come to a realization of the kind of love that he has for us. So we'll look at several passages. First of all, we'll look at Luke chapter 23 here this morning. Luke chapter 23, as we look at the first word on the cross, look at just one verse. He had been led to the cross and had been cruelly put on the cross. And I could describe all the awful physical suffering that he had gone through. It had begun the night before in Caiaphas' palace where he was, uh, had uh, 39 stripes uh, there in the dungeon. You can actually see that dungeon today when you're in Israel. It's one of the pretty clear um, authentic places, and it always stirs you deeply in the place where he stayed that night. Beaten then by the Roman soldiers, scourged beyond recognition, the crown of thorns uh, placed on his head, and uh, already having bled much, he was then taken to 
uh, the top of uh, Mount Moriah to Calvary. And so there hanging on the cross, he speaks three times for others. And keep in mind, every time he speaks, it's agony that I do not have the ability to properly articulate. And we see the love of Christ. Verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He calls on the Father. Now this is something that we need to realize is very significant because his faith and his purpose was clearly unshaken. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. He was not suffering any attitude of bitterness, frustration, uh, wishing that he wasn't there. He had settled that the night before in his humanity when he said, not my will but thine be done, and sweat great drops of blood. That's actually where the passion of Christ began there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he had a very clear purpose, and he knew the final result that wonderful prophetic messianic passage about Christ on the cross, Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Very specific prophecy of what we see here on the behalf of Christ for the people there at the cross and, of course, for all of us. The Lord Jesus practiced what he preached, Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. During the Revolutionary War, there lived in Pennsylvania a pastor by the name of Peter Miller. Uh, although Miller was loved by almost everyone in the community, for some reason, uh, the a man that lived near the church hated him and earned the unenvi unenviable reputation for abusing this minister with his words. This man was not only a hater of the church, but it turned out that he was a traitor to the country and was convicted of treason and sentenced to death. The trial was conducted in Philadelphia. And no sooner did Miller hear of it that he set out on foot to visit General Washington and interceded for the man's life. But General Washington told him, I'm sorry, I cannot grant your request for your friend. Friend, Miller cried, why that man is the worst enemy I have in the world. What? Uh, Washington exclaimed in surprise, have you walked 60 miles to save the life of an enemy? That, in my judgment, puts the matter in a different light. I will grant him a pardon for your sake. Well, the pardon was made out, and Washington, and signed by General Washington, and Miller proceeded at once on foot to go another 15 miles to the place where the execution was going to take place. He arrived just as the man was brought uh, to the place, uh, to the scaffold, and when the man saw Miller hurrying toward the place, he said sarcastically, There's old Peter Miller. He has walked all the way from Ephrata to have his revenge gratified today by seeing me hung. <laughs> but scarcely had he spoken the words when Miller pushed his way through the crowd 
and handed him the pardon that saved his life. That's a noble human illustration. But my friends, Jesus Christ, for his enemies, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The whole world was represented here. The Jews, the Romans, the Gentiles, they were all there representing all of us. And it's a wonderful reality for us that no one is hopeless because Christ's death on the cross was he died for the sins of the whole world. And his argument used with the Father was that they know not what they do. The unregenerate mind cannot in itself understand the messianic truth. We are all rebels by nature. Uh, the God of this world has blinded our minds. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13, uh, speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Uh, what compassion God had God the Son had on us. Now, he still did say, forgive them. Not that they did not have guilt, but God has great long-suffering and mercy for this race that he created and his desire for us because of his love for us is to have eternal fellowship and relationship with us. And that's why Jesus came. The very act of his being on the cross, of course, was for the forgiveness of our sins. But it is... Still amazing that he said this, Father, forgive them. And so this was for all. There were pastors by there, Mark 15, 29, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Now, we all see the pictures of Christ up on that hill, and that very well could be where the crosses were. But some think that right there on the Damascus Road, as you come out the Damascus Gate and head north toward Damascus, which was a major road, that the crosses could have been right down there on road level. It's hard to know. But clearly, the passers-by, and there would have been hundreds of them, uh, were right there for him to be able to hear, and he mocked, they, they mocked him. The Jewish leaders, of course, also in Mark 15, verse 31, Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribe, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that may, we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. There you have the thieves. And then the soldiers, of course, also mocked him. And for all of these, he prayed. Now, I've, I've got good news for you. He had a wonderful answer to prayer. The crowd was not immediately destroyed. As we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Can you imagine right now the, what it was there at the time of the cross, what the angels must have been thinking there in heaven and around the world wherever they were stationed? I can tell you in every one of them, their loyalty for the Son of God would have been at its peak at that moment. And their hatred for what Satan and the rebel spirit world had done was, I'm sure, ex 
extremely intense, and yet the love of God and the power of God and the absolute purpose of the Son kept back the legions of angels from destroying this world. All it would have taken is one thought on the part of the Father, and this entire universe would have been gone. Folks, I just want to remind you, you and I are here even alive today because of the cross. I'm not even talking about salvation. I'm talking about existence. This world would have, should have exploded at that point were it not for the mercy of God. And so God the Father answered his prayer. In just 50 days at the Feast of Pentecost, there would be a tremendous harvest of many of the same people in the very, that had cried out, crucified him in the very same place in the temple 50, uh, 50 days before. Uh, just preceding the cross here, and 3,000 were saved, and just a few days later, 5,000 were saved. Father, forgive them, and he did. And it was 40 years till Jerusalem was destroyed. That generation got to hear the gospel. Now think about that. This generation that had railed on Christ was given 40 years in a time of intense political conflict uh, for Jerusalem to be held and preserved before it was destroyed by the Romans, they had every opportunity to hear the gospel. And of course, the gospel went powerfully through Jerusalem. Multitudes were saved. And so the Savior's prayer was answered. Let me just say that Jesus prays for us. Uh, we saw that a week ago. And my friends... If you're here and do not know Christ as Savior, and God's been working in your heart, do not push off the enlightenment and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because now is the time. This is the time. Uh, this is the gift of Christ to you, because He wants to forgive you. It's a wonderful thing. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman tells of a man who had been a professor of mathematics in a German university, but had become a wreck because of uh, drinking. He came to one of the Dr. Chapman's meetings, forlorn and dejected, and took a seat in the rear of the room. He heard the gospel and was converted wonderfully and became a member of the church. It was Dr. Chapman's custom to meet men before the services, or like Sunday school here, and to teach on different aspects of the Christian life. One morning he told his men that our sins, once we're saved, were taken from us as far as the east is from the west. And then seeing the old professor before him, he said, Professor, that is a mathematical proposition for you. How far is the east from the west? The professor reached for a pencil and notebook, and then he suddenly stopped, and he burst out in tears. And facing the crowd of men, he said, Men, you... Uh, you can be reassured, for if you put your stake here and keep uh, the east ahead of you and the west behind you, you can go around the world and come back to your stake and the east will still be ahead of you and the west behind you. The distance is immeasurable and thank God that is where my sins have gone. And that's exactly what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ means. Friends, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, they are fully paid for. It is finished. They are gone forever. You will not have to answer for them. You will not be judged for them. Jesus was judged. He took the full eternal payment. You have been forgiven. 
Now, in our relationship, we confess our sins to keep a working relationship with Christ. But judicially, we have been forgiven. And that's why I plead with anyone here who has never fully put their trust in Christ, forgiveness only comes by putting your faith alone in Him. And so we see the love of Christ here, really, for every category. That was the first thing He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I'm telling you, having people... Uh, mock you and be, and be trite about the fact that you're on the cross and to see the soldiers and their callousness and to see the Jewish leaders and in their uh, opposition to the truth, men that were to be the shepherds of Israel. And uh, you can imagine how he felt about that. The passers-by and all the other people uh, that were there and then the thieves mocking him on e either side. Humanly speaking, every one of us would have had great resentment in our heart, but the first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. And God heard his prayer. The second evidence of his love uh, for others is the second word on the cross. You can go to verse 39 in this same chapter. And we read, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. The word Christ, of course, means Messiah. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, we know in Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, it says, The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in their teeth. In other words, this man initially had railed on Christ also. But Christ's petition... Father, forgive them, brings fruit immediately. I'm telling you, it is wonderful to know that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. And when you are united with Christ and you pray, God, the Son comes to God the Father, and there are answers that are, that are obtained. It's a wonderful thing. And so what happens here is that this one goes from uh, this awful reaction and in his pain and misery as he's dying, he is touched by God's working in his heart. Romans 2, 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Do you think he noticed that this man next to him was good? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine God the Son in agony having to pull himself up to say that? That very prayer went like an arrow through the heart of that man. And this man was going to become the first fruits of uh, the answer to this prayer. Now, he was an extreme sinner to be crucified. You had to be in a pretty low state that's why it was such a terrible thing that Christ was crucified. And that lets you know that Christ's prayer it can be applied to anyone. I've often mentioned the gangster George Mensick here. I've had the opportunity to know him well as he 
was saved through the ministry of Market Manor Baptist Church in Chicago. It was first in the city at 60th in California, then moved under my father's leadership to Downers Grove. But uh, for a number of years, I had the privilege of knowing him well, and God had miraculously saved him. He became a tremendous uh, uh, worker with prisons and jails and saw, I think, uh, over 20-some men go into the ministry uh, because of his ministry. It was an amazing thing. But he would often compare himself, and I remember with tears he would say it uh, to the thief on the cross. One night in a drunken rage, he had been so tired of his wife and daughter who had gotten saved at Market Manor. Uh, they wanted him to go to church, and he got so mad, and he was out of his mind. And he came and opened the door, and he had it in his perverted mind to uh, shoot his daughter, his little daughter. And he opens the door, and there she is on her knees praying for her daddy. And God smote him. And he ran out the door, ran down the street. And it was unusual, but late at night, uh, Dr. Odegaard, the pastor of the church at that time, was there studying, and he led him to Christ. And he said, I, was, I can fully relate to that thief on the cross. Folks, it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad humanly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As Spurgeon says, morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. And that is really true. We have to have the forgiveness of Christ. And God has prayed for you. And uh, this man heard God's call for forgiveness. And uh, he, he admitted his need and his need for judgment here uh, in this passage. Uh, he made it very clear. Uh, clear. He said uh, in verse 40, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And he cries out to Christ, save thyself and us. He understood there was something about Christ. Listen, the, the entire nation understood that Jesus Christ was a sinless man. They knew he had the power of God upon him. But Satan had so deluded them and so worked in the Jewish leaders' hearts with their jealousy and their, uh, their hatred of the truth that uh, they were able to manipulate the crowds to put him on the cross. But that's why I believe so many were saved later. They knew the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that thief knew about Christ. Who knows if he happened to hear him on the, somewhere when Jesus was preaching. Maybe he saw him heal someone. But he knew that this was the Messiah. And he exercises faith in what he had heard. And in the midst of all of this, he cries out to the Lord and puts his faith in the Lord. By the way, he went to heaven and he wasn't baptized. <laughs> it's one of those uh, interesting things there. The Lord said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so baptism is a picture of already being saved. It is not a means of salvation. The very first convert coming because of the prayer of Jesus uh, went directly to heaven. Now God has told us we're commanded to be baptized, but it isn't for salvation. Very clear illustration of that. But uh, I want you to know that it's amazing to me Jesus is suffering beyond our understanding. 
He is just absolutely overwhelmed. His body is drained of blood. He, he is in, his body is feverish. The pain is racking him. And anytime he would, every breath, he had to pull up and, and rip himself even a little bit more. It was just an excruciating death. And so to speak, to get up far enough to be able to get out words meant enormous uh, increase in suffering. He did that for everyone when he said, Father, forgive them. And here for this thief who had been railing on him, who knows what this man had done, probably a murderer, a man of the lowest level. And yet this man cried out to the Lord as anyone can for salvation. And Jesus raised himself up and said, Verily I say unto thee, truly today, we're going to paradise. <laughs> We're going to the presence of God. Again, I can't imagine in the spiritual realm what a moment that was. Before Jesus ever died, a victory had been won. Satan should have seen what he was doing. Already uh, the, the head of Satan was partially being crushed. Even before the great judgment of Jesus on the cross, for here a thief had come to salvation through what Christ was doing. G. Campbell Morgan says, Has it ever occurred to you what the, this meant for Jesus? Reverently attempt to get back into the mind and heart of Jesus, forsaken of his disciples, the butt of brutal mockery on the part of rulers of his people, spit upon, cast out, all the howling mob around him. And suddenly this blaze of glory, this flame of light, one man recognizing his redeeming kingship, and flinging himself upon his mercy, right there and then in measure, he saw of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. As he swung the gates of the kingdom of heaven open to the dying malefactor, he entered into the joy that was set before him, for which even then he was enduring the cross. What a moment that was. A blaze of glory. But we need to realize there were two thieves. H.A. Ironsign aside, uh, relates uh, that in a series of meetings, an evangelist saw a young man who looked like he was under conviction. And uh, he went and asked him if he were ready to die. And the lad replied, no, I'm not ready. I hope to come to the Lord someday. Remember the dying thief? And then the evangelist uh, asked, which thief? <laughs> the young man looked up startled and said, oh, I'd forgotten. There were two, weren't there? Yes, replied the evangelist. And one went out, so far as we have any record, into eternity, closing his heart to the Savior, and was lost forever. The other trusted him and was saved forever. Which thief are you going to be like? The young man said, I better come now. <laughs> and he closed his eyes and trusted Christ and prayed and was saved right then. That's right, there were two thieves. My friend, do not wait till later. The moment God convicts you about your need of Him, that's you need to write then. Do not presume upon the grace of God. It's God's goodness right now that He's touching your heart. It's God's goodness right now that He is showing you that you need to trust Him. And right now is the time that you just need to, to settle it uh, because you don't know what you'll be like. Sin can harden and close a heart and a mind. Three men shared death upon a hill, but only one man died. The other two, a thief and God himself, 
made rendezvous. Three costs still are born up Calvary's hill, where sin still lifts them high. Upon the one sag broken men who cursing die. Another holds the praying thief, or those who penitent as he still find the Christ beside them on the tree. A thief and God himself made rendezvous. Have you ever thought about when Christ gave up the spirit and died? What a moment that was. They met. That thief. Can you imagine his testimony when we get to heaven? That is going to be an amazing testimony. Uh, There he saw him on the cross. And then during that time, I don't know how it all worked, but uh, you have Christ meeting with that dear one. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So the thief's faith caused Christ to respond. And let me just simply say Ephesians 2.8, we're very familiar with this verse. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What caused Jesus to respond? It certainly wasn't the thief's good works. It wasn't even his emotion. What caused Jesus to respond was his faith in him as the one that could save. And the minute he did it, he raised himself up and said, I will answer that prayer. And that is a great picture of of our salvation. And then the third word on the cross John chapter 19, if you'll turn over there with me, John chapter 19. Here we have the final of the words to people from the cross. John chapter 19, starting with verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's mother, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple, which was John, took her unto his own home. Christ here responds to his mother's suffering. And he goes from opening the gate of heaven to a dying thief to the importance of the human responsibility to honor parents. Very, very important matter right here. Here he is, the Son of God. And yet, at this point in the midst of his suffering, he asks for forgiveness for everyone. He opens the door to this dying thief. And then he sees his mother with tears. Oh, Mary, she remembers bringing Jesus as an infant proudly to the temple where they had the ceremony there and remembering Simon, that godly man prophesied under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Luke 2.35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. She knew now what he meant. Any mother here can relate to what it would have been like to see Jesus up there. You couldn't even recognize him. His face according to the Old and New Testament, was so marred he was not recognizable. Pictures do not even give us the idea of what it was like, and I'm glad they don't. It was grotesque. And there she is standing loyally 
beneath the cross of her son. But it wasn't the emotion of Mary. It was what was right. He loved her as he loves all of us. I'm sure he had a special love for her because she went through much. But he recognized his human obligation. And just think, the great struggle for the souls of mankind, he took a moment. He spoke. And it's getting harder and harder. He is in great pain and he has to pull up on those spikes. And uh, it's, it's beyond, again, our ability to understand how great that was. And he speaks, I mean, this, this took a couple of times of very laborious breathing for him to be able to do this. Now, a couple of things that we need to see from this. First of all, he showed his, uh, his judicial dignity. He was the firstborn of Mary, but he had been obviously given the legal right of Joseph, his father, who was now deceased. So he had the personal responsibility of Mary. Now that's very important because remember, Joseph was of the line of, of uh, David through Solomon. If there had been a king, it would have been Joseph. Mary was of the line of David through Nathan, the son of David. And so she was full-blooded, a daughter of David. But she, her son could not have been of Joseph. If he had, he would have had the sin nature. He was born of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph adopted him fully and legally. And so he had the legal right, was not given to the full uh, sons that came and followed. I think that's one of the reasons why those sons initially uh, during Christ's ministry may have rejected him because of the jealousy and it would have not followed in their mind why would Jesus have been given that right. She had other sons. We know the names of James, Simon, Joseph, and Jude. Two, of course, wrote scripture, James and Jude. At this moment, the brothers are not saved, but James became one of the godliest men of the early church, pastored the church there in Jerusalem. He was known as old camel knees. I always bring that up because if he knew that Jesus wasn't real, there's no way he was going to spend hours in private prayer praying to something that wasn't real. He knew his brother was the son of God. And, uh, but uh, they were not saved, so therefore the... the care of the mother had to be given to a brother in Christ, and so it was given to the beloved young disciple, John. And at this point, John took her away from, the, uh, from there. I have been in Ephesus, and John spent the last part of his ministry as uh, leading the church at Ephesus, very key church there in Asia Minor. And there you, we have the traditional ruins of the house where he and Mary were at that point. And I've seen the, the church there. It's amazing when you see all the way through the life, John the Apostle did exactly what Jesus Christ asked him to do. And let me just say uh, how important it is uh, to follow every part of the Word of God. The fifth commandment is important. Children uh, 
honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6 says. And let me just say to every child and every adult child here, it is vital to honor parents. I don't care what culture does. Uh, this is very, very important to obey and to honor. There is great blessing, and above all, you're honoring the Lord. Let me just tell you, if Jesus would take the time in his agony to honor his mother and make sure she's taken care of, it is a lesson above all lessons for us to do that which is right uh, with our own parents. And so what a testimony that uh, Jesus had. And it shows you about how God cares about the need of widows and uh, just how uh, merciful this was. Reith says these words were meant in merciful compassion and uh, advising her withdrawal from the cross, sparing her the anguish of the last moments, were meant to suggest to her with all tenderness that the earthly ties between him and her were now broken forever. The new wonderful tie <clears throat> binding sinner and Savior would take place as wonderful, as precious, and necessary to her as any other redeemed soul. And she would have a closer relationship because she would then be one with Christ, just like all are after salvation. And uh, Mary stayed true to the end, but she was not exalted, by the way, in the New Testament church. Very much appreciated, honored for the position she had. But my friends, uh, she is just like us. And she needs a Savior, and we'll certainly appreciate her when we get to heaven. But Jesus honored her because it was the right thing to do. Aren't you thankful for the love of Christ? We've just touched on this this morning, but look at that. Father, forgive them. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here he says, uh, uh, Woman, behold thy son. And then to John, behold thy mother. What effort it took for him to do that. But he took his responsibility. He loved even to the responsibility of human obligation, which is a great lesson for all of us. A veteran missionary to India was a great storyteller. And he could vividly describe scenes and events from his 50 plus years in Asia. One day, someone asked him, what is the most difficult problem you've ever faced? Without hesitation, he answered, it's when my heart would grow cold before God. When that happened, I knew I was too busy, and I would take some time to get away. So I'd take my Bible and go off to the hills alone. I'd open my Bible to Matthew 27, the story of the crucifixion, and I would wrap my arms around the cross, and then I'd be ready to go back to work. <laughs> And how true that is. Friends, we need to stop and remember. We need to stop and understand. There's no one that loves you like Jesus. No one ever cared for you. No one will ever care for you like Jesus. Right now, he is in heaven making intercession for you. You are able to go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace to help in time of need. He is your high priest who is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He loved his disciples to the end. He will love you to the end of your life. And my friends, in the midst of the worst suffering, he took time to meet the needs of people. And let me just say one clear, obvious application. Are we willing to go out of our way? If it's convenient, 
we love. If it's convenient, we'll do something. But are we willing to truly follow the Lord's leadership and love sacrificially? Let's bow for prayer.